This is a public service announcement for the end podcast. The following contains adult themes and explicit language throughout. So if this does not reconcile with your sensibilities, please find an alternate source of entertainment or do whatever the fuck you want as daddy is still in the office with that whore and mother is pissed and crying. Toodle pip. On that bombshell, um, we shall introduce ourselves. I am your host. I am Matt. You can find me on all platforms as Marvel Spank. And thusly, people also call me Spank. Uh, Tim, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello to all my mates and also all listeners. My name's Tim. You can find me uh, also on all platforms at TM Bagshaw. And um, I like pizza and comics. That's a good combination, but just not at the same time. Those greasy fingers are going to do it no good. That sounds like danger, living, living life in the, high, in the fast lane, on the high road. <laughs> Go on, Blake, what have you got for the people? Hey, uh, my name's Blake. I'm coming from you live from Kansas City. You can find me on Twitter at BTMorgan85. Pretty sure I'm on Instagram on the same thing. Uh, I, uh, I'm here with these guys most weeks on Sundays. Well, we record on Sunday. We put out on another day. Um, go Chiefs. Love y'all. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Take it away, Joe. All right. My name uh, Joe Pocket here. Uh, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of my wife and do not necessarily <laughs> represent the viewpoints of myself or the other members of the end podcast. In fact, <laughs> She has her hand up my ass right now, working me like a puppet. <laughs> uh, and Seagoose, my wife's real. Only <laughs> your best gags weren't all visual. <laughs> I'm the sexiest man in the whole of Jamaica. Go on, Goose, what have you got? <laughs> I don't have anything to talk down. I'm Goose, uh, coming from you live from Texas. Uh, you can find me on most uh, social medias at 40 Ounce Goose. And uh, I'm also known as the guy who woke up with a tattoo on his chest once. <laughs> the big one. Wow. The big one. Oh, no, not the big one. The big, the big one's a cover-up, dude. Hold on, look. Oh, this, that's a cover-up. Oh, no. Right? Way. You can't tell. But from here to right here, you can kind of see the outline. Y'all know the mud flap girls on the back of the 18 wheelers? <laughs> yeah, I had them across my chest. They were crooked. They, like, one of them had a lumpy butt. The other one had, like, a club foot. They weren't colored in all the way. Um, I woke up with that shit at 17. Had to hide it from my dad for, like, a year and a half. <laughs> oh. That's funny. Up. I woke up with a woman with a clubbed foot and a lumpy butt one time. <laughs> just the one time <laughs> <laughs> I've, made it, I've made it a life's work <laughs> and Ollie have you ever woken up with anything lumpy or butty <laughs> or just you know your bog standard hello will do you know, however you want to approach it approach the question well, a sardonic rise of the raise of the eyebrows will uh, is perfect. That's that's all I wanted. 
<laughs> right, we'll move on to the first news article of the week up for discussion. And this is it kind of it's something that I think at the beginning of the year people were saying they wanted but didn't understand why it was probably unlikely. But at the same time, it it's become a bigger and bigger reality in fact in inevitability and that is that Wonder Woman uh, 84 is being released on video on demand and cinemas coincidentally and also a fairly respected YouTuber John Campier last week also said that he has had multiple um, insiders and sources come to him and saying that on December the 10th, there's going to be the announcement that Black Widow is, in fact, going straight to Disney Plus as well. And for me, as, as like a regular watcher of his channel, he never does scooper stuff. And he says that 95% of the time is bullshit. He was so sure about it and the, the multiple sources that were coming up with this news that he decided to do an individual uh, video to discuss it and what it meant for uh, cinemas and also Disney Plus moving forward. So do you want to pick this up, Tim? Sure, yeah. So, like Matt said, we are getting Wonder Woman 84 in theaters and also on HBO Max, coincidentally. And so far as we know, nothing public yet about whether Black Widow will be going to Disney+. Plus. But as Matt said, John Campion suggested that December 10th we get an, an announcement to that effect. And I, I do want to just go through a little bit of his reasoning and credit to him on this. It, it is persuasive. So, one of the little threads here is that you've got Disney Plus, right, with about 70, I think at this point, 73 or 74 million subscribers just in one year, but with almost no original content. So we've got like The Mandalorian, we had Mulan, um, which was a pandemic-related, you know, release to Disney Plus, but um, premium video on demand, so you had to pay the additional fee. But really, pretty much not very much original content, because what they had done is bought, of course, like Fox for about 74 billion Marvel for four billion, Lucasfilms for four billion, um, maybe some something else. I'm not sure if I'm missing one. Pixar for seven. Oh yeah, Pixar too. The reason for all this is they they had decided a while back that the future of Disney entertainment was going to be in streaming, and the the net effect of buying all these other companies was to acquire their libraries, right? Their their previously released content, so they could stream their content, right? So Disney Plus, like I said, has very little new content coming out. Um, and this does factor into why Black Widow may be coming out on Disney Plus is because if you look at, for instance, the Netflix model as, comp as compared to the, Disney, to the Disney Plus model, Netflix, of course, has a lot of original content, but they have a lot of licensed content. So when they're streaming all the shows like Friends or Roseanne or whatever you're watching on Netflix, these old TV shows, um, Disney, they don't own those, right? They're, they're paying a licensing fee to stream those. And so while they have a ton of revenue, they also have a ton of debt because they're producing a lot of original content and also um, paying all these licensing fees. But when Disney buys all these other companies, Fox, Lucasfilm, Pixar, Marvel, they don't have to pay any licensing fees. And so when they stream this content, it is a $0 licensing fee. So basically they, they're making, at this point, it's like $6.99 a month on average to, to subscribe to Disney+. Plus. Um, and they have 73, like I said, 73 million subscribers, all basically on there for old content, right? Previously released content. And so they're, they are thought to be on a path to get something in the, in, the, in the role of like 200 million subscribers, you know, over the next two or three years. That would be on par with what Netflix has. 
you. So as that subscription price, which is now like roughly $6.99, creeps up to say like $9.99 or $14.99 or whatever, plus the additional subscribers, you're looking at just billions and billions of dollars of revenue without any fees to license any content because they own it all. So the, the way this plays into Black Widow is, yeah, maybe you have a bit of a hit because that uh, a bit of a hit uh, financially in the short term, because, you know, if they went to streaming, because that's projected to be something on, on balance to be like a, a one billion dollar movie in the theater. But it's, it would be part and parcel of this long term strategy, which Bob Iger has long said that is the future of Disney entertainment. So I, I'm persuaded that that is a possibility. And I would like to see. Black Widow come out on Disney Plus, either just as part of the subscription price or with, I, I would pay, I would definitely pay $29.99 to see that like in December, right? Um, I personally would. So really love the fact that these, some of these big tentpole movies are coming out in the holidays. One of the things about Star Wars that I love the last like couple, the last trilogy was they released them around Christmas, which I think just is so, so fun. So I love going to the movies like around Christmas. I would love it if Marvel and DC would move a little bit closer to the Christmas season. If, they, if they're willing to like break away from the May, June, July type of model where they're sending out all their big movies like in that one little area, I think it'd be kind of fun to just extend it year long. But I think, anyway. I mean, the two things that um, I pick, I wanted to add to the, the John Campion rationale, I the thing that's one thing that he overlooked, <clears throat> that 80 million that they spent to acquire Fox wasn't free. So that's so that still has to be offset onto the model. So it depends on looking at that overall the Walt Disney Company. So the revenue is 65 million, operating income 8 billion, net income 2 billion. So they don't have 76 million. It's going to be part financed or part sold off in, in equity. So there's going to have to be a certain amount of that acquisition offset into his equation. And I think that was the one thing whereby he was saying, well, they don't have to acquire the rights to anything. Well, they did mm. do, it's just they did it all in one go. So I think that was right. one thing that he overlooked really. But I, but I think it depends on the strategy. It's like when a, a sports team gets a new, new stadium, they don't, they don't sign as many players or as expensive players for 10 years or five years while they're paying off the stadium. Then as soon as the stadium's theirs, then they can go back to it. Plus they've got the additional revenue from the extra fans that they get in the stadium. So that's kind of, I think, one thing that he, that he might have overlooked. I actually tweeted You're right him, about that. But... The investment, it's, it's right. They're, they are acquiring the rights. Yeah, yeah. All it's, of yeah. yeah. It's not like that was free and nobody had to pay for it. So, right. and I think with Black Widow, it's sort of interesting about expectations of what it would take for a Black Widow to be profitable. Now, if you were to put it on premium video on demand for a month, I think the rumors were at the time, and I know there were, I think the truth of it was inaccurate and not the actual numbers. I think that had Mulan have had a third of all the subscriptions having paid for it, they would have earned about 250 million. Now, if you think with Black Widow, if that hit half, you're probably getting up to about 300. And that's all they'd really need to do to break even. If you think if it was a billion dollar film, cinemas are going to keep a third. You're going to have to market it for something equal to the production budget. So all of a sudden, that, that billion dollars is reduced to about 300 profit. So without having to advertise it, because it's on Disney Plus, the production budget's already spent and nobody keeps anything because it's on their own streaming service. $300 all of a sudden becomes 100% profitable. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we're dealing with a different 
magnitude of profitability for, for films like Black Widow. I don't think there's probably the traffic or even potential traffic for something like Endgame. But I mean, even then, they'd only have to get a billion. And it depends, I suppose, if you can get multiple views again. Because if people will pay for two cinema tickets, why wouldn't they pay for two two-day rentals? So all of a sudden, it becomes about capacity and, and over-subscription to things. So I think it's really interesting. And um, I'm not entirely sure whether Disney Plus will put it straight on without any premium. I mean, I, I know it sounds stupid, but I'd probably rather pay for it. Yeah. Short term, it would be good to have it free, but I'd rather pay to protect the longevity of, of this format of being able to get films early or, or coincidental releases. So uh, about Wonder Woman, um, we don't have uh, HBO Max here. Like mm. we didn't have uh, DC Universe before. Uh, visibly, uh, DC don't want my money, so that's fine. If Black Widow's on Disney Plus with a premium, <clears throat> I won't pay for it. Uh, I already have uh, Disney Plus since it launched here in uh, March. And uh, I still don't I know represent why a good chunk a good chunk of the market. There's a lot of people that are cheap just like me. And I'm cheap and I don't like and I don't pirate. So if you want me to pay for your goddamn subscription, give me something to watch. There's nothing. There's Mandalorian. That's it. That's the only thing I'd get Disney for and I'm not paying for it. Give what do you mean though? Once WandaVision is there, Moon Knight, they bring back Daredevil, I'll subscribe. I'll pay every month. I don't give a shit. Because there's something there I want to see right now. 95% of their catalog is all shit I've watched when I was a kid. I don't want to pay to rewatch all that crap. I'm with Ollie on this. Like, there's nothing there for me right now. And I'm not going to pay $6.99 when I'm already paying for two or three other subscriptions somewhere else. Like, give me something. And what this is doing is putting content on that. I might go subscribe for a month just to be able to go watch uh, Black Widow. I might do a one-month subscription just to, to get that movie and maybe super binge Mandalorian. And then, boom, I'll cancel it because there's nothing after that. Once I do Mandalorian, Black Widow, nothing. I think a lot, a lot of people sign up with that intention, but I mean, I bet quite a considerable amount of their attention goes to people that are just too fucking lazy like me. <laughs> they just don't get around to it. I, I've paid for it. Uh, so after season one of Mandalorian, I mean, I, I've watched, I'll watch the X-Men cartoons every once in a blue moon, but I really don't use it much um, and, until recently with, with Mando coming back. I'd be cool never going to a fucking movie theater again. I won't, I fall asleep in them. Um, I ju I'm just notorious for falling asleep in movie theaters. The chairs are too comfortable. I usually smoke a bowl or something before I go see it. And you know, I get, I get comfy and, and I'm into, you know, and I like the, I fell asleep in both uh, infinity war and Endgame. I told Joe this the other day, like I drank a fucking five hour energy before I went and saw Endgame, and like, I fell asleep in infinity war. I missed Gamora dying. Like I just woke up and Gamora was dead. And <laughs> like, like I was like, I was even telling people, I was like, you never saw Gamora die. And they were like, uh, yeah, you did. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but I, um, I'm, I'm for it. Um, I would, um, 
The only thing I'm wondering is a lot of people bitched about the $30 Mulan fee. I'm kind of wondering if they'll cut it down to 20. 20 bucks is what like Voodoo charges for the, the new movies that are still in theaters. Um, you know, like when Bill and Ted released early and stuff like that. So $20 seems to be like a, a, a fee that people are comfortable paying. 30 for Mulan, like a lot of people complained about My it. TV has Roku. I love Roku. And let me let me tell you what I have to do to watch HBO Max that I pay $15 a month for. I have to change inputs on my TV and turn on my PS4. That is a huge hassle that I, as a consumer, should not have to do. I have to jump through all of these hoops just to watch HBO Max. <laughs> One other thing just about going back, just backtracking briefly about this, uh, the acquisition fees, uh, prices that Disney paid to acquire all those other companies versus the Netflix model of um, paying licensing fees. Well, I think it's true. It's definitely true that acquiring those companies was not free. At a certain point, you do pay those off. Whereas Netflix, at a certain point, either has to acquire the show or, or, or it, that goes on in perpetuity. Um, it's kind of like buying a house, right? You're not paying your you're, you're, you're every, every time you make a payment, you acquire equity as opposed to paying rent every month. So, I mean, it, in the long term, that works out. Whereas in the short term, you have more flexibility because, you know, like Netflix can either license, uh, you know, friends for a year and then drop it or whatever. I mean, they do that all the time. They just license movies and they drop them. I think, uh, interestingly, Tim, I think that that's why Netflix are producing any old shit and green lighting everything they possibly can, just to get right. a volume of a back catalogue that can stand independently, a mirror image of Disney. That, that only means you have to have 50, 52 episodes, which is what, five, six new programmes each year? And mm-hmm. Netflix can easily do that with The Crown, with Stranger Things, with headline things now, with The Draw, the same that Disney have. It's just about having the volume of the back catalogue that can stand independently and that's why they're allowed to get themselves in two billion debt every year right they can cut it at any point and make themselves profitable right let's move on anyway that one that one i'm not gonna lie to you were all charming handsome and interesting but that topic was starting to bore the bollocks off me to be honest with you (laughs) (laughs) and i love numbers don't get me wrong i uh i i this is my favorite things i use them every day it's what i do for work that's right number two so Deadpool 3 is happening. Um, we knew that Reynolds has signed this bonkers crazy deal for 9, 10, 11, 600, a million films or whatever it was, depending on where you got the news from. But they've appointed scriptwriters, which are the sisters from Bob's Burgers. I'm not going to pronounce the names. Uh, I'm going to leave that to <laughs> I'm going to leave that to Joe, I think. And also, the Ten Cloverfield Lane director is picking up a Disney Predator, so that is exciting. I mean, I they have to go R-rated with both of these, don't they? They have to. One sure. thing I did find when doing when looking back into it is so so Disney has confirmed that we are going to get a rated R Deadpool three. And I think that is a very, very good sign that we have we have good things to look forward to with the Alien and Predator lines. Uh, I think I think we're going to get a whole reboot of the series. I think we're going to get a new uh, a fresh start, and I'm hoping because that Carl Weathers, who I share a birthday with, I found out this week, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is still alive, and there's no reason we couldn't get both of them on a Predator film with Disney and have it just absolutely kick ass. 
How do you um, think they're going to do it? Because it's going to be, they've got, like we've said, there's this huge catalogue of stuff that isn't considered suitable for Disney Plus. Um, where do you think, where do you think they're going to put it? Like in, in the, in the face, in the butt? Like where, where can they put these films for people to watch them? <laughs> I mean, I mean, Disney, Disney Plus does have kind of a more um, family friendly uh, view to it, but Disney also owns Hulu. And it would not be a problem for them to be putting their rated R movies onto a Hulu platform that they're still making money off of. Mm. And they can they still own all the licensing and stuff. So they're still going to be making that money. Uh, I don't think it'll go Disney Plus. Uh, but I do, think, um, I do think we could be seeing something like that on Hulu, maybe. And how Olivia Munn. Sorry, Joe? Oh, Rosario Dawson. It was Olivia Munn. Oh, it was Olivia. Oh, you're right. You're right, it was Olivia Munn. Yeah. God damn it, Olivia Munn. Is... <laughs> uh, do you think Deadpool 3 is going to be um, tied into the MCU? It's got to be, hasn't it? It has to be with, with giving him such a big deal. He's not going to do 10 standalone films. Well, yeah, I mean, the, I, I, think, I think they're going to be tied into the MCU, but I think it's going to be more of a... I think we'll see him in the MCU, but I think a lot of his focus and being in the films will just be Deadpool, like hopping around, breaking fourth walls. You'll see him in, in, in a movie where he'll just pop out of nowhere and then have nothing to do with the fucking movie and then disappear. Because that non-movie deal doesn't mean he's going to be, you know, a big fucking role in all of those movies. They could, you sign that deal, he'll may, he maybe get three, four, or sorry, two or three Deadpool movies, and then you're looking at cameos in, in other MCU movies. I don't think it matters, to be honest, if it's R-rated or not. I mean, the comics aren't R-rated, are they? So I think you can make a perfectly functioning Deadpool film as a PG-13. Yeah, we could get, but Disney's confirmed that we're getting a rated R Deadpool 3. So we can get that Deadpool by himself, like there's one or two movies I was talking about, but we can have him in the MCU mm. on the more family-friendly stuff, not, not you know, cutting people's heads off or, I mean, you know, Saying the F word every five fucking minutes. I don't know. Uh, I think I think we'll see Deadpool take center stage in his movies, but I think he will take a back seat as kind of like a wild card or like a goose type in the fucking uh, in the MCU movies that we'll see him in. There's no reason we shouldn't see him in a Spider-Man movie. We could see him in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, and let's not talk about like Captain America kills a lot of people. Like he kills, he's non, he's a killer. He is non-stop killing people. The only difference is- But they're usually Nazis. They're usually Nazis. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or or maybe just, maybe people that just so happened to be working on a ship that day. Those guys could have been catering <laughs> with an interesting jujitsu. Uh, it might have just been so rogue. No, hey, you've seen Clerks. Those, those men knew the risk they took when they signed on to that catering job. They wouldn't have taken it if they didn't. And therefore, they were complicit in the fucking Nazis' crimes. And if they catch a shield to the fucking trachea, they deserved it for serving fucking Nazis. Or, or, or Red Skulls or Hydras. We'll call them Nazis. Do you think there'll be any continuity Wait, sorry, from the Predator? Or do you think it'll be um, just starting again? Because they've already rebooted it once in um, the last couple of years, haven't they? Yeah, that was that that was that Shane Smith one with Olivia Munn, and, and oh, I, I like that one. But I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, the way to look at it is basically the same way that 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 we see Spider Man. You know, we got three fucking Spider Man reboots within a, a fucking deck uh, within a generation. Within twenty years, we've had we've had nine Spider Man films. Uh, or not nine. Sorry, there's eight Spider Man films. And so I'm thinking we can do. 
I don't say we have to bring a lot of continuity in um, because it's going to be really hard, especially with Predator, if you look at its story history. Uh, you've got the first Predator, which was set in the South American, um, you know, jungles. That's when, you know, they get down there. But the second one, the second Predator, which a lot of people don't talk about, is a fucking gem from the goddamn 90s. Oh, it's a good it's set film. In 20, it, 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 it's set in 1997. It's got goddamn Danny Glover, who is way too fucking old for this shit, who's yeah. in the middle of this gang war between these, like, South American, these Colombians, and these Jamaicans. And he rolls up on the scene and realizes, oh, fuck. It's not them two. Like something is fucking hunting us and shit. And that movie is off the goddamn rails. Love it. If they if they take us back and they do almost a remake, but uh, have it have it a little bit different. You know, we we know the we we know the main premise. These motherfuckers come to Earth, especially when it's hot, to hunt humans like goddamn trophies. And they're they're, they're super seven foot tall, muscular, infrared seeing motherfuckers. We know these things about them. We don't have to have a rehash on, on, on what the, the predators are. We don't need like an intro story to them. Drop me, Jesse the Body Ventura, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Carl Weathers in the South American jungles with some machine guns and some badass quotes and shit like, I ain't got time to bleed. And like, I don't give a fuck. Just, just give me some cool shit with Predator. I just want to see some, some big juiced up motherfuckers with guns fighting big juiced up motherfuckers from out of this world. Like, Go Ollie, what have you got to say for me, pal? I want to see Predator uh, as a reboot, as a romantic comedy. I thought it could be like one's a predator, one's an alien, and they're like um, cross-species partnership dealing with the prejudices that that has in the predator community. Exactly. Like they're just trying to make they're just trying to make it work day by day, man. Like stop, stop. It's just love. Love is a, a pure and beautiful thing. So what? She's an alien. He's a predator. Just let them have their half alien predator children. <laughs> Fucking hell! What was that? Like? Aliens. We exactly. we had that movie, guys. We had that movie. What was that thing? What was that ending? The second one is horrible. It's horrible, horrible. Film. What Requiem? Yeah. Requiem. Yeah, it's the worst. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was, it was. And now you were also the worst for not agreeing with me, so piss <laughs> off. <laughs> I, I adore I adore all the, the Xenomorph and Predator movies. Like, you can get as bad and cheesy and stupid, like, as you want. I just have such a soft spot. And I, I agree with uh, Colton. Like, they're so ingrained into our media. People who don't watch sci-fi, people, people who don't watch alien movies, like they know what a xenomorph is, they know what a face hugger is, they know what a predator is. Um, so I mean, everybody knows what these things are. So I mean, I mean, really, man, you can you can just drop that alien into any kind of scenario. It could be a rom com. It could be a, a the last alien or the last predator movie kind of tried to be a comedy, and it, it worked. Like it was dumb, but it worked, and it and I laughed many times watching it. So, I mean, that's the cool thing about these these movies is uh, you can put new actors in them, new directors, new screenwriters. You can make them really dark and scary. You can make them kind of goofy. You can make them over the top. They're going to work and they're going to sell well and people are going to watch them. And that's, yeah. I'm excited uh, for it. I want more. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this surprising thing you said about the Xenomorphs. I was in Walmart the other day and they had a whole fucking section in, in the action figures that are like kid-friendly xenomorph action figures dude <laughs> and i think disney's setting it up to where like we could be we could be seeing a more family-friendly fucking alien movie and that would be weird you guys read the, uh, the versus predator comics you know you know about these mm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. New omnibuses, new omnibuses are being released, and I'm gonna buy the fuck out of them. Okay, we'll move on to the third news point, and this one's a real bummer. But yeah, Gotham PD has lost its showrunner, and that was Terence Winter. Now he was a producer and writer of Sopranos, Wolf on Wall Street, Boardwalk Empire, and Vinyl. And it's just, it's just such a shame because wanted that version of it now that's not to say that there isn't anybody that could possibly be better that comes and does a good job or but it still it is a disappointment and i believe you actually have something to say about this joe unless you want me to backtrack back to deadpool but uh you know no i'm kidding i'm kidding the frame this is you having an attitude problem and not me being a poor presenter so if you want to put your ideas <laughs> up and- <laughs> <laughs> All right, so HBO Max, uh, Warner Bros. television series that got that's supposed to be within the Reeves verse of the Batman universe. So it's supposed to be directly tied into the uh, Pattinson movie. Uh, that was, I believe, it's supposed to be based off of the story of Year One. So this show is supposed to develop all the criminals and that Batman's supposed to fight. It's supposed to kind of, like you said, be a procedural drama, cop drama. And obviously they went and picked up Terrence Winter because he has such a great resume. Mm. But as we've all heard, dropped out. And this comes shortly after, less than 24 hours after it found out he signed on to take over showrunner and everything for Dial M for Murder, which is starring uh, Alicia Vikander. So less than 24 hours after he signs on to that, he drops out of Gotham PD. So no one... It's not confirmed if those two things are directly related, but obviously it must be for it to, it has to be. happen so closely together. To so now it's uh, we're just waiting to see who do they get to replace this guy because he seemed like the perfect fit. And I don't know if there was a con in the article. They said it was a difference of creative, creative differences, don't whatever that me. means. That's such a vague. Don't, don't fucking patronize yeah. us. Like we're not fucking children. Like oh oh oh, where's 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 Fluffy? Oh, he's gone for a long walk and we don't know when he's getting back. It's like, no, yeah, Fluffy's dead. He's in a box in the garden. We're gonna, it's, that's where it is. Like creative differences. It's like scheduling conflicts. I, it got to the point with Gambit when I was like, yeah, but there's three scheduling conflicts that happened. How's about Gambit is the reason for the scheduling conflict for the next guy and he fucks off the other thing. It's just so patronising in, in talking down to an audience. Like if you could just say like, I don't want to do it anymore. This isn't what this isn't the vision, or I found a better project or something. I I, I just created diff- it's it was the thing in music, wasn't it? For for about 10, 15 years, a cliched reason for a band breaking up. And it was like, no, Oasis didn't break up because of creative differences, it's because they fucking hated each other. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the art anything I looked at was very vague. There wasn't very many yeah. specific details. So they didn't go into whether Reeves and him didn't get along or they had a misunderstanding. It was very, very, very vague on all the details. Yeah, yeah. Just just that he dropped out and there was barely anything else written about it. Do you know what? who I'd like to see pick it up? And now I've not seen True Detective Series 3, but Green Room and um, Blue Ruin are two of my favorite recent films. Absolutely brilliant. So I'd like to see the auteur uh, Jeremy Solnier pick it up. I think he's fantastic. He did Green Room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Green Room's that one, one of my fucking favorites. Oh my Patrick God, fucking so Stewart? Oh, 
I don't know if, how much this is going to cause a delay because Ter uh, Terrence Winter was also the writer for this show. So now you lose your, sh your showrunner and the writer. So are they going to get someone else to do both? Wear both hats? Or are they going to have to find someone to write it and then find another showrunner? Like, I don't know how much this is going to delay the whole project. Uh, it, it's hard to say. Uh, is uh, David Simon. Uh, I love The Wire. He was a writer and showrunner on The Wire. And I think a lot of vibes in The Wire would very much coincide with Gotham PD. Um, I love that series, that comic. And it's just, it's just so dark and gritty and wonderful. Uh, and I, I the, the Wire has so many of those like corresponding vibes. And he already has a relationship with HBO. I mean, I don't think it's too exceptional though to have more than one person um, to be involved at the beginning of a series. So, I mean, The Walking Dead had Greg Nicotario and, and uh, Frank Darenbont. If someone else was to be brought in in a showrunner role and then just use the, the script, I mean, that's what Marvel were going to do with James Gunn. I mean, which I could never get my head around. He was too despicable to have directing, but he wasn't despicable enough for his script not to be used. It <laughs> just fucking blew my mind, that part. Go on, Ollie. Fill your boots, mucker. The DC train wreck continues. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think the train wreck's already been wrecked, and these these are these are people stealing from corpses. I think that's how far it's got. <laughs> <laughs> but what I can't understand as well, one of the other things with this, let's just say it is creative differences. Like it's somebody's like look at what was happening with the Star Wars thing with Lord and Miller, letting yeah. them write the scripts and film half a film, and then going this isn't what we wanted. It's like, well, you've, you've just hired two directors that are renowned for making people improvise on set. And what you want them, you expect them to come in and just go from a script from you and do like a nuts and bolts filming. This happens so often that people aren't doing their jobs at studios. Like know what people, know the people that you're giving the job to. Like surely you had meetings to say, this is the direction we want. So when they come back with the scripts and it's not what they want, like it just seems silly. It seems like an expensive, exhaustive process that could be done a lot better. In fact, I think we should we should start a film studio. What do you reckon? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah? I'll be the Foley artist. You'll be the what? The Foley what? artist, the guy that makes all the noises. No, I want you to be the fluffer. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Whoa, whoa, My whoa, whoa. so rough. What kind of studio are we starting here, fellas? Full penetration action films. Sex, sex films. <laughs> films with sex in Full them. penetration action films. Image of a Wonder Woman adult film. And they made, uh, I can't remember the actress, but the she had the new 52 uh, Wonder Woman suit. And it looked, when you saw like the, the still of it online, it was almost like, oh shit, they're doing like a real Wonder Woman movie. And no, this was an adult film actress just in a, phenomenal wonder woman costume mm. and like they they not they don't like go all out on i can't hear you probably for the best probably for the best yeah i think he was he was leading us down a dark alley there okay so oh, now he's sorry. frozen now he's frozen as well well the worst cast member you should save for the moment joe it goes to blake now uh, you were saying something, Blake. It looked like you were telling me to fuck off. <laughs> no, it's, so there's there was a leaked image uh, many years ago of a of a porn star in, in a Wonder Woman in New Fifty Two's Wonder Woman outfit, and it just looked amazing. Uh, and everybody thought it was actually going to be like a Wonder Woman movie. This is like well before Gail Godot. Um, 
Um, I, thought, I thought you were about to say the nerdiest thing I've ever seen and going, I thought you could say, well, she had this new 52 outfit, but the Batman one was clearly from Rebirth, so the continuity of it. I couldn't even jerk off to it. I was just, I was too angry. <laughs> well, you, they're the best kind of one. He's a Marvel character. <laughs> I wish you could cry a little bit as well. That always gets me going. Ooh. And it's extra lubrication. <laughs> Cheers. Crank away, baby. Okay. We all watch New Mutants. Um, I was worried a little bit because everybody said it was going to be shit, but it wasn't. It was actually really quite good. So I'm I'm actually really glad that you encouraged us to watch that this week because this is a movie that I would have slept on just because of all the, the bad press and people mouthing off about it. And it was just like, I was like, why would I ever watch this? And sometimes it's really good to be wrong, you know? Like, oh, wow. Like, this it it blew my fucking mind. Um, it it was it was wonderful. I enjoyed every moment of it. Uh, I I thought the cast was great. I know I know the director mouthed off and and turned people off with you know like people do like don't meet your heroes you know but and he's not my hero but like you know he said shit that people didn't like. Uh, people were uh, people were mad about um, uh, Roberto and you know but I thought he was great too. Um, the guy was you know, Brazilian, right? Like, yeah, they got Brazilian actor. He just, yeah, he just, he wasn't. They, they accused him of whitewashing it from the comics, basically. He's white he, now. He has, been, he's been white for about fucking ten years. Get over it. <laughs> not really, no. He's not black as black can be, like he was in the very no. beginning. Like, there's a clear differentiation between the two. Yeah, yeah, but he's not white. And what the fuck does it matter? You know what, Major Williams isn't Irish. Actors. Their job is pretending to be things that they're not. Yeah. I didn't even have to do that because he is fucking Brazilian. Sorry, I've hijacked your lovely words. <laughs> it just really fucked me off that. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, that's that's a good point. I mean, these were these were minor reasons that turned people off of this movie and, and was why it didn't do well. Um, and, and really, the movie was very, like, plot-wise, acting-wise, the way these characters interpreted the, the comic book characters, especially Ilyana. Oh, my God. Like, she came a little stand too standoffish at first, and, and people got mad about the racy comments toward, you know, Native American Indians. And, and yeah, like, you know, we're, we're supposed to not do that anymore. We all know that. Um, and he kind of pushed, he, he pushed the writing there a little bit. But once you get past those, and that's the first 30 minutes of the movie like once they hang out in the attic and start becoming friends the vibe totally changes once they but start becoming a team you got to put that into context where she makes the uh, native comments she's trying to get to her she's trying to push her buttons yeah. right and what do you do you insult yeah. people when you try to push their buttons she wasn't she knew what she was saying was racist and she was purposely saying that to try to push her goddamn buttons to try to get her to show her power that whole early part of the movie, yeah, yeah. Magic is trying to get her to show her who her powers are. So she's pushing her goddamn buttons, trying to get her to react. You got to put those comments into context. And if you take it out of context, obviously, yeah, she was a fucking racist and this and that. But, you know, in the context, it fit. If you watch the goddamn movie, then you'll understand why she said that. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. And the whole, uh, I, I also remember a lot of critiques about like the, uh, the horror element didn't save the movie. And to that, I say, fuck you in the ass. Like, 
that made the movie the way her power the danny moon stars that's what she does she can she can show you your fears and and, and metastasize them into reality and, and 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 manipulate you that way and the way they did that in the movie with with the the monsters and the bear and just all the cre little creepy things that are happening i thought it was perfect and i I paid six bucks to rent it, and I will. When I plan on when I get paid, I'm going to buy it so that I can watch it again. Like I love yeah. that movie, and I have no shame in it. The bear was good, like legitimately good, because it's it's a silly concept. I really like the way it looks. It didn't. Look oh good. yeah, great. And seeing uh, seeing the soul sword for the first time. Oh like, yeah. Like just, Fuck just, yeah. I love how it, I love how it like sets you up too because she gets mad and pulls it out and you're like ooh and then later on when you see her like jump through the portal and and she slices yeah. up the smiley guys like dude like my my hairs on my beard stood out like I was like woo like I've wanted to see Ilyana in live action so many times she's yeah. such a wonderful character so especially like and I love the new X Men comics so good she commands every scene in the comics and and she did the same thing in the movie um all the actors did we once they all came into their role um I, you know i thought um uh what Maisie williams is rain oh man that was perfect she looked like her she so talked good. like her. um you know like the i i dig how uh how she never really fought as the wolf you know she did like that half the half uh form but I mean, man, like when she's clawing at shit and yeah, I, I, I don't understand why people hate that movie. Some people suck. Some people are going to work on things and say shit you don't like. Get over it. Watch it. Find something to enjoy. Life is too fucking short to hate everything all the goddamn time. But I'll touch back. Like you said, some people were complaining about the horror element. But if you read a lot of X-Men books throughout time, they've always had a toe. They've always kept the toe in the waters of horror and X-Men. It always comes back, you know, in some way or form. It's always been dark and there's always been a little bit of horror elements in all the X-Men titles. So anyone who says the horror element doesn't fit, they're probably just basing that off fucking Avengers and all the rest of the fucking Marvel crap that's come out that's uh, fluffed up for uh, mass audiences, you know? So, I mean... Has anyone um, read the Demon Bear saga? I've never actually read that comic. Yeah, I have. I read it recently. Yeah, I thought it was rubbish. Really? Yeah, I thought it was rubbish. I was just waiting for it. Yeah, I it was rubbish. And it's why rubbish. is the movie better? Like, yeah, for me, it was. It's just like if it hadn't been highlighted, it's this like classic run. And I think it was the change in art. The change in art was really impacting. Blake, tell me what the guy's name is, please, because I couldn't say it last time. What guy? Sinkwitz. Yeah, yeah, Sinkowitz. Bill Sinkowitz. Oh, Bill, Bill Sinkowitz. Yeah, the change in art between the preceding issue to the first one, Demon Bear Saga, it looked like it was 50 years apart, not five weeks apart. It was mm. outstanding, like legitimately brilliant. But the story itself is no more than there is this mysterious foe that they, that mm. they punch away and then it's over. There's no, and I thought there was going to be like deep sort of mystical, mental sort of aspects to it, but it wasn't. They just basically fight a bear and then it's the end of the story. I was really underwhelmed by it. Matt, you're, you're not alone in that critique of it. Um, that's, that's the power of Bill's art. He elevates shit. Uh, the same with Moon Knight, man. Uh, early Moon Knight comics are kind of cheesy and hard to read, but Bill comes on and slays every panel 
and it it really helped like bad bad art can ruin a comic and great art can alleviate bad writing um you know it's, it's just how it, it kind of works and the, i don't think the stories were ever like bad but bill's art does magical things to comics uh and that's his superpower and i think that's why demon bear gets alleviated that's why uh his moon knight run gets gets you know heralded um it's just he's just so fucking good and unique and he does crazy crazy things in the panels that you just you've never seen that before i've never seen that style before yeah and it's it's the amount of detail as well you've gone from like outlines outlines and color to something that's fully explicit layered detail it, it, yeah it was mind-blowing i couldn't believe what i was seeing it's worth reading for that alone mm. but i think it's it's reading it in an epic collection you get more you get more of an impact of it because you've got the preceding issue and then it just drops you bang into it but even the early the new mutant stuff i thought was really good um because I've, I've read like the original graphic novel and the first 10 or 12 issues of the claremont run um, yeah. which i also to go back to the movie I thought it was very cool that Danny Moon Knight was the focus because she's very much the focus when that series yeah, kicked yeah, off yeah. the original graphic novel. It's like her own reservation, finding her powers. The only thing I would have really liked in the movie is I would have loved for just out of nowhere, man, she just pulled out the spirit bow and shot that fucking bear in the face. Yeah. Um, but everything else was wonderful. And that's, that's just me fanboying. It, it also, probably if she would have done that, people would have bitched about that too. They would have been like, but she doesn't even know her powers. How'd she know she had this like crazy bow and arrow that she just pulls out of nowhere. Like where's Thanos? Like you so much better. And I, I just like, well, this movie's not even three hours, bro. And like, you know, tie together. Like, uh, I, I just feel like that. This movie was doomed from the start because Disney and Marvel didn't make it, and that's what yeah. sucks. I hate that attitude. It's one of the things that really, really annoys me. Like, don't get me wrong. Spider-Man's been good. I don't like the film, but I can see that they're good. It's not my preference, but I'm not invested in the character. But by popular opinion, people are happy to have him in it. But I think a lot of that was that people have wanted him in the MCU for so long that they've been pissing, bitching, and moaning about it that when it finally happened, they were never capable of saying anything other than this is the best Spider-Man ever as they shot themselves in the eye with the semen that they produced wanking <laughs> about the <laughs> Spider-Man in the MCU. We're getting a Morbius film. We've got a Venom film. We've got a Venom 2. We've got a Madame Web. We've got um, we've got uh, Silver Sable, and you'll never get them if they're shit. Then so what? Because you wouldn't have had them anyway. If you want Spider-Man solely solely at Marvel Studios, and you don't get them, so just don't watch them, pretending they don't exist. I think it's just good to have the diversity. I think the mutants just shows that that it's it's sad really that we that yeah. we'll never have yeah. this ex extended um, man like because characters on the periphery. I think it's a sad loss. Yeah, it's a it's really a shame because this establishes these characters it was good but it makes me think so much of the first x-men movie where they're just establishing the team and by the end they're a team and things are rolling like she's fighting and i could see how if they came out with the sequel it'd just be like x-men 2 where the sequel is superior to the original like i think if they would have done it been able to do a sequel to this it would have been even better because they established them, mm -hmm. now they're working as a team. They could have hit the ground running and really blown us all out of the water. Because I had really loved this movie. If you take out social media and all the other bullshit surrounding it, I think everyone would have liked this. 
Yeah, it's really good. There's so much crap surrounding um, everything all the time now. It, it, people, people judge something before they've even had the chance to see it or even make an opinion for themselves because they let themselves get told by the fucking hairs on their chin by some other asshole that thinks they know everything. Exactly. If and one thing comes from a, this one podcast that you motherfuckers should watch New Mutants. Just watch this movie. <laughs> just ignore everybody. Don't go in with expectations. Just just go in and enjoy it and let it do things to you. Let it get inside you. You know, just let it in and remember to breathe. <laughs> That's what he said. I actually, uh, I actually made some notes. I actually made some notes while watching the movie. There's a there's a whole lot of things I really enjoyed. Um, I, my my first note that I that I wrote down uh, as the movie was starting was uh, well, this is fucking great, and I really think that the movie will be a lot better for people like Blake said who don't go with the expectations. I was telling my dad about it, and he was like, "Well, I don't know too much about the movie." And I was like, "Yeah, you don't gotta know shit. Just go in and watch the movie." I was like, "Don't even think of it as an X Men film. Just think of it as these kids like trapped in this fucking prison. Just enjoy it." Um, my second thing that I wrote down when I got real, real, real fucking excited was when Danny first gets into, into the, uh, the place and she's meeting everybody and fucking Eliana holds up the fucking sock puppet of Lockheed. I fucking lost it because in my mind, I told myself, I was like, I don't think I'm going to get to see Lockheed in this film. And when she's got the sock puppet, I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. And, and then, like, when, when, when fucking Lockheed actually shows up at the end of the film, and I'm, I'm telling you, we're talking about shooting loads in your eye. It was this guy right here. I was trying to contain it. It like a fucking water sprinkler going awesome. on. Awesome. And was awesome. the fucking soul sword. Okay, you see the soul sword the first time, and you're like, oh, okay. When she fucking goes through the goddamn portal, and she's just fucking shit up. I, oh, my God. I'm telling you, I... Uh, uh, Dakota doesn't like that actress's face. She says that her eyes are way too far apart. And, and that's, that's true. That's true. That's true, right? But I was telling Dakota, I was like, well, you know, she actually looks like a fucking cartoon character. So it's the first comics accurate representation of Yolanda that we'll ever see on screen. Um, but I fucking, dude, every fucking bit of it I love. I sat there the whole movie, clenching my fist, angry because I hadn't watched it fucking sooner. It was badass. The goddamn demon bear was done, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't cheesy. It didn't look. Uh, it didn't look bad. And they. they yeah. And every like that, every fucking man. bit of it, man. The, I'll agree with Blake on one thing. I do not like that they made Reyes a bad guy. I was really hoping that when it came time for her, when it came time for well, because she was okay. First off, about Cecilia Reyes, if you don't know, um, she never wanted to be an X-Men or any of that bullshit. She, was, she got forced into it. She just wanted to live a normal fucking life. And so I was hoping that by the time it got to, it got to like her having to kill Danny, I was thinking to myself like, okay, she's a fucking prisoner here too. Here's where she's going to have her little redemption. And then I'm like, no, obviously not. Let's fuck this bitch up. I, I, was, I was a little bit disappointed in that. But other than that, dude, every bit of the fucking film was phenomenal the acting the way the the pacing of the movie when they get up into the attic and they're doing the lie detector test and the the cast of the film really seemed like they had this good like flow going with each other and everything seemed natural uh nothing seemed like I said, it, it was just the the, the, the way that the scary parts were hit as well like when the um the charred corpse starts coming out of the swimming pool that was, that was oh like, yeah that was legit. That, that, that was taking itself seriously as horror. 
Yeah, those the smiley um, guys, the smiley guys fucked with me, yeah. man. Like those grins, yeah. all them like over baby Ilyana in the bed. I was just, I was like, oh my god, I was like uncomfortable. I was like, this is terrifying. No, yeah. Afterwards, I thought of this, but can you guys see um, a bit of a comparison with Cabin in the Woods? Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. I love Cabin in the Woods. I always wanted one of them bongs. It's good. Coming back to Lockheed, uh, is he uh, is. I'm not familiar with the early parts of New Mutants, but was he ever a puppet like that in the comics, or is that no. just in the movie? I think that I thought at first it was fan service, but I really thought that they, I didn't realize we were going to actually get Lockheed in a thing. So when I saw him as the hand puppet, I was just like, oh God, that's such, that's, oh, it's fucking great. I love it. Uh, even her, like, they send her to solitary and she, like, turns into this, like, shaking feeble like non-badass like i think she she did that so fucking well but is that that's not a part of the comics though i don't think so i don't think so okay so so that's that's strictly that's something they put in there for budget reasons probably to not have the dragon in there all the time yeah yeah okay i thought that was a nice touch to because they had a limited budget and i thought that was a great way to bring him in like have him part of it without blowing the budget that was great i if that's the case, I love the way they, they execute it. Is it the same dragon that Kitty Pride has? Yeah, and but yeah. that's that's where I don't know. I'm I'm really excited because I got that new Excalibur omnibus to see more about this. But I don't I don't know when Kitty Ollie may know when when Kitty like got Lockheed when they like you know paired and got close. Like I haven't read that yet. Um, I mean I'm I've been going back in Marvel history and there's still. There's still so much. It's ridiculous. So much. I know. It, it's, it legitimately frightens me at times. Like this weekend, I was so I was so pleased that I was going to sit down and read. I just, and then I looked at everything. I was like, I just want to read everything at the same time. And I still <laughs> want to buy more. Like, I just wish I could just touch it all and then have them read it. But then I'd lose the experience of reading it. Like, how do you deal with it? <laughs> It's, impossible, it's an impossible task. How do you deal with it, Blake? <laughs> I didn't follow the uh, the filming issues. It was delayed quite a bit, right? Do we know what yes. accounts for that? Yeah, what happened was they shot it around the same time that Get Out was shot. So there was rumors that either the studio wanted more horror or less horror. And um, Josh Boone was saying, well, I want to keep it like true. And he's He's come out and said, like, the film that was released was the first and only edit that we did that was mine. So, but the problem was is that Maisie Williams and Charlie Heaton were filming Game of Thrones and Stranger Things series. And they weren't aligned, so they were non-consecutive. So that delayed it by about nine months. And then there was rumours of the acquisition. And then that took nine months for it to happen and then a year for it to actually be transferred. So all of a sudden, like, Maisie Williams now, she's she's a fully grown woman, whereas there she looks like a teenager. Right. So it was just not possible to do anything else with it. And then, of course, it was, they were talking about doing a re-edit or potential reshoots. I don't know how on earth they would have done it when it was transferred to 20th century films. It's uh, great. It's great. It is great. As is. As is. It's great. Like I said yeah. on Twitter, this movie was way more enjoyable for me than fucking Endgame. And I'll say it on the People can listen, they can criticize me, you can come tell me I'm an asshole and I don't know anything. I don't give a shit. I know what I like and I enjoyed this more than fucking Endgame. 
I mean, you are an arsehole, Joe, but that's not the reason. <laughs> All right, let's get on to the, what we've been reading part then. I'm going to go first this week. I'm going to show you the expedience of which I expect you to follow. Death mm -hmm. follows. An X-23. Joe, you're going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Right. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Death Follows. I messaged Cullen Bunn and I said to him, hi, Cullen, how's it going, mate? And he ignored me. And then I said, sent him another one and said, hi, Cullen, how's it going? Which of your stories are self-contained? And he said this was one of them. So it's Death Follows, Cullen Bunn. The uh, art is AC Zamudio and the colour is Carlos Nicholas Zamudio. I'm imagining they're either married or related. So basically... There's this sort of like southern rural farm and there's two young girls and uh, and sort of elderly parents and the, the well not elderly but like in their in middle aged and the woman's heavily pregnant as well and this dark mysterious stranger turns up and asks for work. Now he just looks ungainly and uncomprom uncompromising and he's a really intimidating big frame and he and he scares the kids. The little girl begs the dad for him to not stay for, for any longer than he promised him to start with. And then all these kind of sinister, uh, insidious things start happening. Like What amazes me about Cullen Book, coming up with it like a, a horrible premise is easy, but the way that he makes it, he sort of relates it to an everyday scenario and sort of makes you invest in the fear of the characters is a really sort of unique thing that 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 I think that that is especially difficult in horror titles. Um, and what I love about his indie work the most is that he produces so much on such a high frequency that every single time he manages to pick a perfect art team for that title. The second thing I'm going to talk about is X-23 by Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost. And it's the first uh, mini-series um, that brought a little background on Christopher Yost. He was in charge of the animation stuff. He did a lot of writing for Marvel Animation in the noughties. He did Wolverine and the X-Men. He did uh, Avengers Earth, Mighty's Heroes. He also did an Iron Man, I think it was Armored Adventures. Not seen that in a Fantastic Four animated series. Earth, Earth Mightiest Heroes and Wolverine the X-Men are the best not Avengers animated series ever and probably the best X-Men series ever. Um, he also did the he also did drafts on the screenplay for Thor Dark World and he also did drafts on the screenplay for Ragnarok. And he also is writing well, I imagine it's going to be the next Thor film. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. So what, what he did in Wolverine and the X-Men is he created X-23 as a character, a lot like Harley Quinn was. So they brought him on board to transfer it to actually a miniseries. And the, just this just absolutely knocked, knocked me out of my shoes. I, I can't believe the detail and the 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 levels of like disparity that they, they were willing to show in the birth of X-23 or Laura Linney and not just the background of her character and all the despicable things that she was put through and, 
and the, what that was doing to her mentally it's the part of her that was still just a little girl was was dealing with it and also the woman that was forced into surrogacy and the, there's this guy there's this absolutely despicable person in charge of the lab and it's got like all these themes that I'd never thought I'd ever see in a Marvel comic like there's there's sexual assault, there was self-harm, there was domestic violence. It absolutely took my breath away. And not just the fact that it was in there, but the way that it dealt, dealt with each of these like crazy issues. I felt all the, all the things that they were putting X-23 through. It was just done in such, such a vivid way. It's, it's, I, it absolutely took me out my shoes. It really has. It took my breath away. I've, it's instantly in my top 10 Marvel runs I've read. Without question. Have you read uh, NYX? I've got it next. That's what I'm going to read tonight. That's where she appe appeared first in comics. Do you want to go next, Blake? Um, yeah, mine's going to be shorter because um, I didn't. I'm I'm reading that that still that fucking X Men omnibus, which is good, but it's you know. 1200 pages i have to take breaks it's hard to binge uh but let me tell you guys about ram v's blue and green which this is a masterpiece um it is uh it's very emotional it's like an emotional horror graphic novel this is this is one more that image did the straight to graphic novel this didn't have issue releases this came out as a as a as a go and show kind of deal um it's uh i i didn't know uh blue and green is a is a miles davis uh track um it's it's very much centered around music about jazz about loss um the artist is uh i had this pulled up here the artist is uh anand radhakrishan uh, i'm probably mispronouncing that sorry um but his style uh is actually similar to to bill sinkwitz's and also to uh Uh, Jason Shawn yeah in Philadelphia they're very they're, there's very very similar vibes going on and all these styles are great for horror comics um, they just there's like some abhumanness and the details are there when you need them and, and not there when you don't and it's kind of plays with your mind like a memory that isn't as as concrete as it used to be as you get older and you're thinking back um The main character in this is uh, he's kind of a failed musician. He teaches music classes. Uh, he kind of lost his, his drive and uh, he doesn't think he's good enough. And his mom dies and he goes home to bury his mom and he hasn't seen his family in a long time. And um, he, he finds this picture of a musician and kind of becomes possessed by it in a sense. Like, overcome with grief um you know not sure where his life's going he's he's lost he's confused and so he like hones in on researching this musician and he goes into this very dark weird rabbit hole of like an old murder and a club that burned down and it's just so fucking cool and ram's writing is perfection it's it's very lyrical um and poetic uh, which also kind of goes in with the the musicality theme of the piece um with with the writing and the art and just the way it, it kind of uh it it hones in on little moments and then spirals out uh, very similar to you know jazz um 
so i mean it's it's kind of structured like like jazz music which is also fucking brilliant in itself um but yeah this is uh this is some of the best 17 dollars you can spend right now i've never read a comic like this uh it's very it's 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 like highbrow i would almost call it but not like um in a burdensome way you know it's not a struggle to read at all um it uh it makes you it makes you think it it leaves you um leaves you questioning things thinking about your own past your own memories how you deal with your family how you deal with your past lovers uh it, ju it just pulls you into this narrative in a very wondrous way and we don't get enough comics like this i don't think and this is very cool because this is ram you know he's, he's doing well on catwoman and stuff and and these savage shores was another one where he just really got to like take his vision and run with it and this is very much that like image image let him go you know as far and deep and weird as he wanted to and and it's very cool when when writers get to do that and i also really dig that they just gave that to you to eat up like the most delicious sandwich just to gobble up at once and you don't have to wait a month or two between issues it was just all ready and given to you on the silver platter um i love singles you know like i love that's that's how we got into this hobby was singles and and it's just um you, sometimes you lose stuff month to month you know or you forget things that happen and so this this new deal that image is doing uh some of these new kickstarters are doing these straight to graphic novels or graphic novellas i fully support it it's very cool it's um I like buying graphic novels and omnibuses and stuff more than singles anyway. And it's kind of cool that modern cultures, you know, taking this, there you go. There you go. You won't be disappointed, but yeah, I, I encourage everybody to read it. Um, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful book. It's got very fresh art, uh, fresh writing. There's just a lot of genius from cover to cover. And uh, that's, that's all I got for the week. Well, speaking of wonderful and beautiful, I'm going to oh, pass it on to Tim. <laughs> uh, what a compliment. All right. So I have just one title this week. And, you know, it's it's Twisted Dark. I I think, I know we've certainly um, either behind the scenes or maybe even on the pod have talked about this book before. But if someone has recommended this, forgive me. I just wanted to, I'm, I'm wrapping up my... Um, Halloween uh, themed reading uh, with this book. And I'm gonna move on, I think, to other stuff after this. But um, Matt sent me this book uh, and I had seen this before in my LCS. Um, and I looked at it and I thought, you know, this looks kind of interesting, but I'm not sure if I want a horror slash thriller anthology, which is what this is. These are stories, I wouldn't even, some of them are, I would call short stories. Others are just simply like vignettes. I mean, you could read them in two, three minutes, some of them. Yeah. The, the whole volume, which is one of, I think, either six or seven, you could read this whole book in two hours. Um, so one thing I like about it, so anyway, I was a little, I wasn't sure about it, um, but then when Matt sends me, it was like the stamp of approval. Um, obviously, if he's recommending it, I'm going to read it. And I have to say, I love I love this book, and I'm excited to read the remaining six, six or so volumes. Uh, two things I like about it. One is a practical thing. So the fact that these are little anthological vignettes really kind of like what Blake was saying, you know, you, you can, you can in a long form story, uh, either a horror, floral, or really any type of ongoing comic, you can kind of lose track of things month to month if you're reading it that way. Whereas these, you can sit down in two or three minutes if you're busy and just read like a very satisfying little, um, little story. Um, but then I thought a little more closely about it and I think that 
Gibson, I'm oh, sorry, Neil Gibson wrote this book and it's got a variety of different illustrators. Um, one thing about it that I think is really excellent is, is the choice to make it anthological rather than like serial or episodic really serves the themes that he's um, going for here in terms of like horror and thriller. Because if you think about some of the ongoing comics, like I'm just thinking one I'm reading right now, like Something is Killing the Children, right? The, the Tiny in the Fourth Book, a book I love. Um, but other types of long form stories like this, the advantage of those is that you can go deep into the mystery, you can develop characters, all the things we love about the comic form um, can really be served by a long form story. But the difficulty ends up being is like how you end the plane, you know, like how do you resolve the central mystery? Is it going to be? And these are things like the more successful a book is, or I was thinking about in terms of maybe TV shows, like you guys remember the show Lost from like 15 years ago? That was so interesting and satisfying. And I, I actually liked the ending, but I know people did not like the ending. There other shows like, like Game it. of Thrones, for instance, right? It's a fantasy story, but still like people did not like how it ended. So the better the show is or the book is, I think the harder, the bigger the obligation is to land the plane, you know? And it, yeah, yeah you, can, you can disappoint people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that, that does not, that's not a problem in a book like this because there's no long story. Now I haven't read the, 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 the subsequent five or six volumes. So it might be that they're connected in some way. Some of the characters come back. I don't know that yet, but with stories that are this short, you don't have that expectation about um, resolving that long form story. So that's one thing that's nice about it. But the other thing that really, it really serves is that because you don't have that obligation to conclude a central mystery, you can always have these stories end on points of ambiguity and an uncertainty. And that really completely serves the purpose of the horror or thriller genre. Because one of the things that's so scary about stuff like that is, is the very fact of the uncertainty. It's scary until the story is resolved or the central mystery is resolved. And in these, in these little vignettes, nothing is strictly speaking resolved. So it always ends on this point of uncertainty or ambiguity. And I think that just is so wonderful in terms of how a thriller or a, or a horror story can be written. So I have to say, like, I was a little skeptical about it when I saw it at my LCS. But now that I've read it, I'm like all in. And I, I think it's terrific. So that's my book. One book for the week. I, what, what I really liked about it, uh, what, well, what I, what I perceive to be a real strength is how Neil Gibson just keeps on coming up with ideas, like individual. Oh my God, yeah. What he does really well is the best length for each of the stories to be. Some of them are three yep. pages, some of them are 20 pages. And I think there's that, that appreciation of capture and release and the ebb and flow. And I think that works really well because coming back to what you were saying, Tim, that I think the expectation of resolution is counterproductive to storytelling, really. In most cases, you know, it's going to be, there has to be an end. But with these, you don't know if you turn the page that it's, it's going to be there or if you've got another five to go. Yeah, I read it as well. And my two favorite stories in the anthology of the first one, volume one, was Blame. Because the art, that is a masterpiece on how to do black and white comics. That story was was great. The artist and the way it, it's interpreted with the story was perfect. And the other one I really liked had kind of more of a, gave me Lemire vibes, was the uh, routine. With the man in the woods and his son supposed to go out and hunt for, anyway, that story, I love that story too. Yeah. Like it, it definitely tells a fun, fun little mysterious tale in the end. And like Tim was saying, I like the way some of these stories are left very open-ended. Yeah. So it's up yeah. to you as the reader to come to the conclusion of what ending you think it's going to be. And what better way to fuck yourself over than be inside your own head 
no one can fuck you up in the head better than <laughs> yourself, right? So then he lets you do that, which is which is fun. Yeah, you're right too. Um, you just don't know whether there's what. Not only do you not know what the ending is going to be, you don't even know what what whether you, when you turn the page is going to be a different story or or it's going to end. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really great because it allows you to be surprised every every with every story. I love it. And I like that each of the tones of each of the stories are so different. And I think the different art style was a very clever decision to make. But sometimes it's, it's, it's simply a guy. It's just a guy that has had enough. And then on other, on other ones, it's something that's sort of deeply spectral or, or, or like you don't want them to look under the bed or open the door. Because yeah. like the hands going over, and then you're about to turn the page and not looking at it directly. But yeah, it's re- really clever, really smart way of, of working. Uh, do you want to pick up Polly? What what have you been into this week, John? So uh, one comics, uh, Fantastic Four twenty five, and uh, I think it the single best issue of a run of Dan Slott's run. Uh, <laughs> It's got uh, it's the first issue, issue for, from uh, RB Silva, and uh, it really really elevates the story. And uh, Dan Slott's run has been a mixed bag before because it had good premises uh, and poor execution or boring execution or or boring premises and good execution and it was fine to read but it's never really uh, take took off and uh, it feels it's uh, at last it's starting uh, the issue so we have the best art since Sarah Piccelli was on duty on a on the first arc, and uh, no spoiler here, but uh, something happens in New York, and it gives the character something to do, some uh, a lot of things to explore, and it opens a lot of uh, great possibility. Plus, uh, all the scenes with uh, with Ben Grimm's family are gr- really, really great. The the two uh, the two kids. The two new kids are really, really fun to read, and I want, uh, I want more from them. And uh, then a quick word about uh, video game, uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon. It's the seventh episode, if you don't count uh, Yakuza Zero, the two Yakuza uh, in the past, and the Judgment uh, spin-off. And it's a love letter to Japanese. Uh, role-playing games. It's t- a turn-based system that, uh, that is replacing the um, button-mashing uh, system <sighs> used in the 10 other episodes. And it was a dotting task to start again with a new cast when you, you add for years and years and years the same characters and the same city and uh, you, you knew all the faces, all, all the places of the uh, the fictional world, but uh, they did great. It's a really, really fun game. It's really a, a love letter to Japanese role-playing games. Dragon Quest is uh, talked about a lot of uh, and lot of times, 
and uh, there's a job systems, there's this ionic, parodic uh, humor that's uh, kind of uh, close to South Park. So uh, it's really, really, really a fun game. It, it's important to have uh, an American console like the Xbox launching with a, a game that's so, so Japanese. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to play one. There's, there's so many. Like there, there, there's what like nine of them, Ollie. Like there's a lot of Yakuza games. Start with Judgment because it's a spin-off in the same world, so there's no baggage. The cast is all new. Or you, for the same reason, start with Yakuza Like a Dragon because uh, it's separated from the rest. And uh, if you like it, then you can go to the saga of the previous main character. Nice. Yeah, I've always wanted to play it. It's one of those, there's so many, it's like I never knew. Some things you don't know if you like need to play the other games to get the story or... Two years ago, two, three years ago, I didn't know anything about the license. I just saw a trailer for Yakuza 6 and I was blown away. It was so gorgeous. I had to play it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what type of game it was. <laughs> so it was a, it was a gamble. And uh, I'm I'm glad I, I tried I tried it. But I'm curious to uh, to hear Matt describe the trailer because it can be it can be really. Um, I I would I would call it beach ball speedboat sex explosion. Yes. <laughs> I'm talking of right. I'm talking of sex explosion. Goose, take it away. I think actually looking at Ooh. you, I, I kind of think there's an air of Matthew McConaughey about you. Has anybody ever said that before when, when you've been on their Zoom uh, conversation? You, you, you're going to laugh when you hear this. Uh, he is actually from the town next to mine. Okay. So you're saying he's basically your dad then? Uh, he could be. He's around <laughs> my mom's age. And I don't know if any of your mothers would say no to Matthew McConaughey. Mine wouldn't. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, I'd encourage you to take him up on it. So um, I'd give my wife permission. But, so you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's Matthew McConaughey. He might be running for like Congress or some shit, is what I hear. I don't know if he's gonna do it in Texas, but I'd vote for him. I think mm. maybe, unless he's weird. Not the point. Uh, point <laughs> is, uh, I got badass books here. First off, uh, we got American Ronin number two from AWA. Has anybody been reading this uh, at all? I read the first one. No. Oh, okay. Wow. It gets way, way more fucking intense. You're getting more. You're getting more on on the main character who's I can't remember his name. They've just been calling the fucking Ronin, and so basically he can inject uh, DNA into him and like, get a clue into who a person is, and then that's how he goes on these assassination missions. And he's hunting down this guy that he's been hunting down at, for a while now. And apparently, the guy that he's hunting down fucked with him in the past. Well, as he's hunting him down, he is not the only hunter. He is also being hunted himself by this guy who does the exact same shit that he does. And it turns into a fucking nightmare halfway through. Um, he starts losing his mind. He Oh, dude, it's, it's badass. Um, I can't. The first one really snagged me. AWA has just been putting out just banger after banger after banger. They're not letting up. Uh, somebody's talking about that sex books they're, that they're putting out, and uh, I'm all for it. Uh, not just because it's a sex book, apparently it's AWA, and I've, I've 
gotten every title they're putting out so far and fucking love it. Uh, the last one, this is a self-contained story, but I picked it up because it's my favorite character. Um, it was Hellboy and the BPRD, uh, the Seven Wives Club. Uh, short read, it was, uh, it was good. It was written by Mike Magnolia. Uh, Adam Hughes uh, did the art. Really good story uh, about uh, these, this guy who had these seven wives, and he, he decided to get them all into the same house one night. And he burns the house down, hangs himself. And um, then that place turns into a hospital and these nurses kind of uh, brought his spirit back and Hellboy and one of the agents from the BPRD have to go in and uh, bring justice and judgment down on these ghosts who are haunting people. Uh, there's a woman that he knows that uh, <sighs> they went in there, they were paranormal investigators, they go in and she has shot her partner in the head thinking that there was this demon in this house. So he is going, Hellboy is going to um, make sure that she gets off the hook for it because he knows that she would never just shoot her partner in the head. And it's pretty solid read. Um, I, I don't think I've ever read a Hellboy uh, book that I didn't like. And so it's just definitely uh, a pickup for me if you like Hellboy. Uh, definitely, definitely a good book. I have the Magnolia cover and let me... I have the other cover that Peter sent me. It's uh, this one here. I think that's the one that Adam Hughes did. And uh, it's also really pretty. I think that's going to be it for me this week. You read a uh, Hellboy, but I've got the, uh, awesome. the first few like library volumes from Dark Horse that look amazing. Yes. Yeah, those, those library volumes are beautiful. Uh, I actually have all the uh, last year, 2018 Dark Horse released those omnibuses. I think there's two uh, Hell, uh, Hellboy short stories, and then there's like four Hellboy omnibuses, which goes through like the main thing. I think they're gonna be doing the same thing for BPRD soon. Yeah, I um, I have the Library Edition Hellboy Volume One, and it is beautiful. And I've thought about getting the others, but like with BPRD and and all the other series, and I'm way behind. Like I read them every now and then, but I try and buy a couple more volumes. Comicsology always has them on sale sales i try and pick up a couple more books to like i'm trying to get the whole deal like on my tablet ready to go but yeah i, I really like them and would love physical copies but some of them are also hard to find well, it's, yeah oh yeah and, and the and the lore i mean this is there's a whole fucking universe that he's created and there's so much and i just it's I saw the the first like the movie when I was a kid, uh, the one with Ron Perlman, and I think it came out like 2004, so I was like 10, and I had already been into comics before then. But I was like, okay, this is what I want to read. And like my aunt got me uh, Wake the Devil. I think that was the first. No, 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 Seeds of Destruction is the first, the first like uh, graphic novel. She got me that for Christmas, and then dude is fucking on from there. Like I picked up everything I could, and he, oh man, I, I love it. And, a lot of people hated on that movie with the uh, old boy David Harbour. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Great. It was hard though. Every time I thought the film was ending, there was more and more and more. <laughs> and I thought it was going to end, and then it didn't end, and there was more. And then it was just like this cycle of me thinking, "Oh, thank fuck, I can get out of my seat now." Has everybody else had their say? Yeah. Well, I think so. Would like to have their say on Joe because I've been mean <laughs> to him today, and I feel like somebody should say something nice about him. I'm sorry, Joe, that's a pretty damning conclusion. <laughs> See if you can't redeem yourself with some reading. Go on, what, what have you been... All right, all right, here we go. So uh, I'm doing a little different this week. 
Uh, I'm going to do one book and one show or movie, and I'll, I'm going to keep with that format for the rest of the way to see how it goes. So okay. here we go. My book. I've touched on this in the past, We Live. Okay. So this is We Live number two. And there aren't too many books I like where I get into variants or other covers, but I actually picked up the second print of the first issue, which is a different mm -hmm. color, color palette, which is beautiful. So Does we it fold out too, Joe? Yeah, well, the, the second issue is just a normal cover. Okay. Yeah. So this book is written by, by brothers. It's created by two brothers. And so far, the first two issues have been great. And I'd almost go as far to say as these guys are going to become names in comics, kind of like the Cohen brothers, the Wachowskis, what they have given me so far, I, I, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. So the two brothers are Anaki and Roy. They write the story together. Then Anaki uh, Miranda, he does the art. Uh, Eva De La Cruz does the colors and uh, Dave Sharp does lettering. And the contrast of the world it's beautiful. It's like a fantasy world. It, the colors are great. This is a place where you go when you die. This is heaven. And the contrast of the way the world looks compared to the, the brutalness and the viciousness of the story really mm. complements one another because it catches you by surprise. And this has a very strong Walking Dead vibes where no one is safe. You'll fall in love. And all these characters are charming and lovable. Mm. So when stuff happens to them, it just, it's shocking. It's so shocking. And in these two issues, these guys give you so much to chew on. It, and it, the pacing, they don't, they don't beat around the bush. They give you action. They give you, oh, it's, it's so well done. It's amazing. It, it, they really do a great job. And in two issues, this is like, this is my book of the year. New book, it's my new book of the year. Like, really? I, can't, I can't praise it enough. It's wow. really well done. I got the first issue off your recommendation. Yeah, I got this first book off his recommendation too. I was just sure I finally read it today actually, and uh, that gatefold cover, dude, is just absolutely. Is the second gorgeous. one like that too, Joe? No, just the first one. It's gorgeous, man. Oh, it man. is gorgeous. Uh, it was it was like you said that the art on it, man. The art on it, fucking like I opened it up and I started looking, and not just that, but look at the uh, they got. A music composed for it. If you if you open up your phone yeah. and read that, it'll, it'll take you straight the to QR YouTube. Code. And it's got and, it, and it's got two of them in there, and both of them really complement the story well. I listened to them while I was reading it, and uh, yeah. man, just fantastic book. I'm ready to get issue two in. I, I thought I had it in, but it's coming in my next box from Peter. Yeah, and they continue with the QR codes with the original music. So in the second one, they have they add another tune to it. So I think they're gonna add a song for every issue, and it it definitely adds to the story. It's fun. Remember that name, Miranda Brothers, because I think we're gonna be hearing yeah. about them a lot from now on. Joe, is this an they ongoing? I'm not sure. I don't. I didn't look into it deeper than that to see if it was an ongoing or not. I didn't see where it was written, how many issues, but uh, I could look into that and let you guys know on Twitter. Yes, cool. please. What else do you have for us, Joe? Yeah, and the second part will be the show, The Boys, season two. Oh, oh yeah, this show is so brutal, so vicious, so fucking utterly crazy. Like, mm. it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's just mind-blowing. The acting, the acting, like uh, Anthony Starr in the first season, he was amazing, and he's just as good playing Homelander in this second one. He, he was, you know how a character 
someone is born to play a certain character like Ryan Reynolds, uh, Robert Downey Jr. This guy was born to play Homelander. He's he's irredeemable. He's ah, uh, he's just uh, it, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. I don't want to. I can't even give it justice by with words. You have to watch it. And of course, Carl Urban. I love everything this guy's in. He's kind of similar similar ideas like we were talking about before timmy oliphant you know like you can't think of a bad thing he's in you love him in everything he does well carl urban's the same way he he can he's just so damn charming even when he's despicable you're like fuck this guy i love him you know like uh, he's being a fucking prick to me but i just want to kiss him you know it's it's wonderful it's just wonderful oh i can't say enough good things about the second season it took the first season and it said here's a bunch of steroids and cocaine go yeah that's it that's season two that's season two man like here's a bunch of drugs and just fucking go at it you know it, it's crazy it's just crazy i can't recommend season two enough enough it's a it's the roller coaster ride without the fucking seatbelt, man <laughs> is anybody in a position where they can add anything to joe's beautiful and eloquent description of his activities this week <laughs> I definitely cannot. I don't think anybody can. I think you fucked us for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, <laughs> I think instead of trying to either improve or compromise on perfection, that's going to be a good place to end. So if you could say a quick goodbye, starting with Blake. Um, yeah, just uh, want to tell everybody thanks for listening. I uh, want to tell these guys thanks for putting up with me. You know, it's um, I don't want to get cheesy, but the last you know few months with quarantine and not going out and working from home, and mm. I kind of you know like I I talk to my friends and still see a couple of my friends safely in our circle, but you know I didn't really realize how much I missed social gatherings, and talking with you guys really helps that, yeah. and I really hope we can bring some joy to other people that are at home and bored and looking for things to spend money on. Cause we will give you ideas. Follow us. <laughs> we love you. Balake. And thank you so much. We appreciate you. Yeah. Just please stop saying. We love you. Balake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and talking of used condoms, I bet Goose has been through a few, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye <laughs> to the people. Goose. <laughs> Don't wear them. Anyways, bye. <laughs> hey, 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 Matt, 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 Matt. You know how much condoms cost back in my day? Um, I don't know. Never yeah. used them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Oh. Pull and pray, baby. Ollie's knee. Pull and Ollie's pray. Knee. Wave, wave goodbye to the people, Ollie's knee. <laughs> For the listeners at home, Ollie's waving <laughs> vociferously and has let out a belch. It is a truly Oscar-worthy performance from Oliver's knee. Joe? Yeah, I'd uh, just like to say thanks to all you guys. Love you all. I love doing the show each week with you guys. And all our supporters on Twitter, man, I love all you guys too, man. We appreciate all the support. And we're, we're doing this because we're like you. We just love comics and all the rest. So yeah. stick with us and we'll give you something fun every week. And uh, so take it easy. Have a good week. Not only have you ruined the podcast, you've given me no chance of saying anything heartfelt after that. It's just going to sound like I'm copying <laughs> you. You're really trying to put me today, aren't you? <laughs> Tim, have you said goodbye to everybody yet? Goodbye to all you guys. Uh, that's always the highlight of my yeah. week. 
anybody who's celebrating Thanksgiving, have a good one. And uh, if you can, watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles this week. It's a classic uh, Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. That's it. That's everybody. And I think that only leads me to say, this has been, and this is, the end.